2: What Happens When We Die? Join me, Brian Tome, an adventurer, pastor, and host of the Aggressive Life podcast in conversation with my friend a near-death experience researcher. Together, we're gonna sift through the mountain of evidence to find answers to your biggest questions about what comes next. Find the special two-part episode, What Happens When We Die, wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search The Aggressive Life with Brian Tome. I'll see you there
0: Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.
1: This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out.
2: Oh my goodness, it is the first episode of 2018. What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 124 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. Now, we've got a ton of stuff to talk about this week. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk a little education, we'll be discussing the Molar Method. This is in reference to Klaus Hessler's article in the February issue. After that, we'll dive into the playing and career of Matt Wilson. In our gear review section, Mike and I will be checking out the Hendrix Perfect Ply Walnut drum set. After that, we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. That was better. That yeah, was better. Happy New Year, everyone! everyone. Happy New Happy Year. Happy New Year. I was just gonna say it to you, but yeah, to everyone. <laughs> I don't care about you. I just care about the people I, listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get those numbers up. <laughs> oh, man. So, so far before the show, we complained like crazy about USB cables because yep, I've did. got I've I've got to play tracks out of my laptop. I've got the Focusrite Sapphire 6 USB sitting to my right. I've got the M-Audio, Herbert (laughs) M-Track 2x2 sitting to my left. I cannot find a single... I have 62 USB cables and none of them fit the back of these two different devices that use two different types of USB... (laughs)
0: Ah
2: man. Dude, I just wanted... All I want is to have click... And tracks in my ear, and then the front of house has a song. Why should that be so <laughs> difficult? How come laptops aren't built with that in them right now? Well, I mean, are even USB cables standard anymore? No, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm a PC guy. I'm not using FireWire or Magic Wire or Lightning Bolt I mean, up your <laughs> Thunderbolt. I mean, I mean, FireWire is gone, isn't it? Isn't <laughs> it? No, go try to buy a, an interface. There'll be sixty of them that are FireWire, and you're like, "Wait, who? Where would I get that cable? Radio Shack went out of business. I can't even buy that cable anymore." Then some drone from Amazon has to drop it on my freaking house. Wow. Yeah, 2018 awesome. Oh, you know how I kicked in the new year with a Bring dead car battery. <clears throat> oh. Yeah, and your weather's good right now, right? Oh yeah, it was. You know, (laughs) it was on Sunday, of
1: course, and that's when you know all. And it was so that was New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. So everything's closing not only early but extra early because it's New Year's Eve, and and be closed all the next day. Yep, all the next day, and the battery decides to die while the walking the dogs at the park at like four thirty in the afternoon, and the stores close at six. So. I was, got a jump and I was like running around to every. Of course, Pet Boys didn't have the right battery. I had to go to another place. <laughs> I changed Pet it in Boys. the dark and the hooks fell underneath
2: the motor and I had to get on the ground. Oh. Happy New Year. <laughs> wow. Well. <laughs> So our goal here, guys, is that whatever's going on in your life, it can't possibly be as tough as me trying to find a USB cable and Mike having to change his car battery. I mean, what in your life could be more difficult than that? I know. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, that's fine. It's better than our frustration over words that we don't want to hear in 2018. (laughs) Oh, no. So yours is content, eh? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel even, I mean, it's, no fault of anyone who
1: uses the word content, but for some reason, when I see the word content in reference to music videos and and lessons, it drives me insane because it, I feel like it's... It's the same thing for me as referring to a student or someone I'm recording songs for as a client. like I just client. <laughs> yes Ugh, Or just, a customer. Just makes me, my teeth hurt, just thinking about it. I'm not creating content. I'm just recording myself, playing the drums. It's not
2: content. right. <laughs> and, and when people like when I do business uh, speeches and stuff and they're like, well, how many clients do you have? I'm like uh, zero? How many customers do you have zero? And I'm like, you mean my students? My family? I have a bunch of those, but uh, stop calling that. Here's here's my uh, phrase that I need to not appear. If, if I see you at a clinic, because I've got a clinic uh, tonight in Fresno at Bentley's Drum Shop. I've got one tomorrow at Skips, and then I'll be on monday at uh, revival if i meet you and we hang first of all generally i'm nicer than i've been for the last six minutes mike <laughs> is just allowing me to there's a little cathartic i'm just getting some stuff off my chest yeah, we know but this is the first time we've actually had our pre-show kind of rant and during the show. the show yeah <laughs> it's needed it's needed but the the phrase that i need you to not tell <clears throat> me about is your side hustle Oof. stopped Ugh, I can't stand the like, well, I'm really just, you know, working hard this year. And I'm just, you know, and then I'm doing this thing where I've made drumsticks, but I've made them out of Q-tips. So they're super quiet. And that's my side hustle. And I'm like, you mean you're playing your drums with Q-tips? <laughs> yeah. But that's my side hustle. I'm I like, mean, side hustle to me means you're trying to just rip people off. That, right? Yeah. Doesn't that, it's like either do what you're going to do and do it with 100% passion. Everything you've got And don't even look up for credit or for accolades. Just keep your head down and go. Or don't do it. (laughs) You know? Like or don't don't try to explain it to me. It's like, well, I'm just doing the thing at Starbucks as my side hustle. It's like, no, you're doing the thing at Starbucks to pay rent. That's that's totally valid. You don't have to validate that to me. Like we've all had (laughs) You're not not all 62 venties today. What did you do? Because I was side hustling. (laughs) <laughs> got to make them Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I will say this, though. I, I really get bummed out when people try to justify to me why they've got a normal job while they're trying to be a drummer. It's like that is, needs no validation. That's awesome that you're willing to do something that isn't your passion just so that you can pay for your passion. I, I think mean, that's great. I mean, how many drummers that we idolize that
1: they still have other jobs, whether it's teaching yeah. or or they have just a regular career. I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah. Very there's rare I mean, people doing real estate. Pro.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then that that gives you the financial freedom to then at eight p.m. load your drums into a gig, go on stage at you know midnight, play till 1.30 in the morning, and just know like, cool man, that that was my release and. Uh, And it's all good. So, yeah. So, no need for side hustles. And uh, just just create amazing material. You don't need to make content. (laughs) I mean, I think (laughs) it can be
1: used in certain capacities. It's just when you... Sure. When you send me messages about man, I love your content or check out some of my <laughs> content. I'm like,
2: oh, like, do, you, uh,
1: do you like the way I play the drums? I don't care about what how it's being delivered.
2: <laughs> right, I don't, right, right, I'm not yeah.
1: trying to like market this for anything.
2: Like, yeah. yeah, I think that we we've talked about it a few times, but right now and uh, now more than ever, the. <sighs> I think the biggest thing in creating any type of material for public consumption is authenticity. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. just do it. Don't worry about like, you know, um, I try really hard to not go on forums to find out how could my Instagram video get more f- likes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, clearly there's a part of my brain that's going like, okay, so I have a hundred something a fo- hundred thousand <laughs> followers and 82 people saw this video. Did I do something wrong in the <laughs> upload process? Right. <laughs> right. Clearly, Instagram's got an algorithm that's taken me down, but I don't really want to care that much. So yeah. I, it's like I know that I could just type in how do you get your followers to see your video, but I really just don't want to make content for that purpose. I want to only – sorry about using that <laughs> word, Mike. I don't want to make <laughs> my videos for just that a little purpose. bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was on my side hustle. Um, but I, I really don't want to do it for that reason. I want to do it because I'm playing drones, I'm sitting there with my eyes closed, and something magical happens, and I just can't help but share it with the world. That's when I want to turn on my, my camera. Yeah. Um, yeah, But I don't want to wake up and go, Oh I gotta, I gotta, I gotta practice because I gotta give the Instagram world something. I gotta give the YouTube world something. I I don't want to ever be in that point, you know. Yeah, I think for me, it's just kind of transparent when you can tell. Okay, you watch some online seminars about social
1: media, and now you're trying to. Turned that side hustle into your drum
2: hustle. And it's funny, too, because I've I've given those seminars and <laughs> I then have to change my entire approach because I know like, well, now I just saw somebody on Instagram like the other day that used my actual font for my name as their font for their name. Dang. Just so you guys know, my font is the Jane Austen font uh, <laughs> on all Windows-based computers. And that's what's on my signature ride, on my signature stick. And that's all because Vader, when I got my first signature stick, said, there's no way anyone will ever be able to read your name. You should choose a font. So I went to cursive fonts <laughs> no and way. chose the Jane Austen <laughs> font. Yeah, take that. And then I've signed stuff at Nam and had kids be like, you're not Mike Johnston. I'm like, no, amazing. I really am. So did, yeah, you to, so did you practice the, how to write it that way, then? I tried. I tried, <laughs> and I just gave up. So my, my real signature looks nothing like the signature on my signature products. Oh, but you're at the such time, a fraud. think about this. <laughs> I'm well aware. There's nothing you could tell me where I'd be like, what? <laughs> me? It's like, yes. But think about it. Eight years ago, when this all started, <clears throat> on a branding level, I was thinking that. I was thinking, okay, I do want people to be able to read this. I don't want it to be this scribble scrabble. I'm not a famous drummer by any means. So, to build my branding, I want my name to be legible. So, that's why I chose that. And I just saw somebody on Instagram literally, the intro of their video is the same font that I use um, in the description of my video. And then their name was in the Jane Austen font. I'm like, damn. And I mean, it was like literally the type. It was, I knew where they got it from. I'm going to do that. OK, well, I just I'm going to start putting little video effects on my Instagram videos and uh, go. Mike Dawson, Mike Dawson, and then I'll play in five over it. Oh, <laughs> and we'll just copy man. each other. You know, OK, the- we should get to some stuff. Let's give some people some valuable content starting now. <laughs> my side hustle is the molar oh. method. Let's talk education. Well, talking about something that's been branded to death. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's. And, and misbranded and then misrepresented and yeah. misunderstood. Uh, so I would definitely fall into the category of, uh, let's see, informed but not obsessed. Now, I'm a teacher and I, I pass this on to lots of people. So uh, two days ago or whenever, uh, last Sunday on com we had a lesson on the muller method. Oh, cool. So I, t- so I teach this. I've watched Jim Chapin's video a million times. Uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, speed, power, control, endurance. Um, so I've watched that videotape a million times. I've never studied with Jim. I've never studied with Don Famularo, and I clearly am not old enough to have studied with Sanford Moller. I don't teach it as passing off Jim Chapin's teachings verbatim. What I did was I watched Jim's video, I practiced along to it as a kid, as a teenager, and as an adult, and then I just started to reverse engineer the process for myself, try to figure out how would I explain this if this was something brand new, and then that's how I teach it. So for me what I got out of the the molar method was that it's multiple techniques to achieve a grouping of strokes. Mm, uh okay. instead of using the exact same <clears throat> technique to get if you're going to get four strokes, and you had to like as jojo Mayer explains if you had to hit the stick down and then pull it up on your own you're going to make eight strokes to get four notes Mm -hmm. that makes no sense and the molar method gives me four strokes to get four notes so it's the most efficient way to play um and then inside that i teach the three molar strokes that are inside of it what about you do you first of all do you teach it or did you just study it
1: uh i mean i i I teach it but i just kind of wrap it up into just relaxed technique natural technique i don't um because, I, I don't know, I don't use, like, the molar method. I think it's it's more of a, if you want to play three notes in a row and the first one has an accent, you're going to have to let your body do it kind of naturally. And I think of it, right. for me, it's just a matter of, I have an accent and then taps, and then during the taps, the arm is preparing for the next accent.
2: Right. And you it's just gotta, a, Yeah, just I consider kinda, it like a reset.
1: Yeah, you just got to figure out. What does your body need to do to make that happen? The the elbow has to come out. the The, the wrist has to lift while you're tapping. But it's all one motion. But I think right. that's – anyone who teaches good technique, that's kind of what you're going to fall into naturally.
2: Well, yeah. And, I mean, if you think about this, any time I've had an advanced student that had never even heard of this, they were already doing it. Mm-hmm. So – as you try to play, especially if you grow up playing any sort of jazz and you get into the up-tempo thing right. and your wrist is going ding dick a ding dick a ding dick a ding dick ding you know, and it's like, and and you can't make it quiet enough. And then all of a sudden, there's this motion, this whipping motion, and then your fingers get involved a little bit and it goes zigga, ding zick-a-ding, ding zick ding And the other thing is, as you're playing those songs, you're looking up videos of max roach and of tony williams and you're like well they're not stressing out and they're going right. 40 bpm faster than i am yeah. there must be a technique involved here so i think <laughs> it's going to naturally happen the biggest thing i think in that you're going to get out of learning the molar method would be releasing your fingers after that first whipping motion or the or just your downstroke, mm-hmm. because generally most people hit that downstroke, and then try to keep the stick flat and, and it. leave it yeah. there. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. And allowing it to come back up and rebound through the fingers, which leaves, in when I'm playing, leaves my fingers open to then pull down like a grip, like a pistol grip, and throw it down again. I don't, I don't let the stick come up just through my wrist. I actually let my fingers loose a little bit, and then mm-hmm. I can pull my fingers down. Um, and I think that that's what you get out of studying these methods. By the way, we're re- uh, referring to an article written by Klaus Hessler, who might have some of the most phenomenal technique on the planet right yeah. now. So he's yeah, definitely an exactly. authority the, on
1: this. The article is um, called Molar Through the Chapin Lens. So it's it's the molar method via the lessons that Klaus learned from Jim Chapin's lessons, and he also worked with Don Familev. So Klaus is definitely connected to the lineage of the molar method directly. Right. Uh, the article is pretty simple, but it has four just basic exercises that I think, if you're new to this idea of getting multiple notes from one arm wrist motion right. it kind of has it all there you don't need to like get a whole book on this at this point you know it's just good introductory Agreed. exercises
2: um, well the thing is like any snare method book you know or, or just stick control in general can be a molar book depending on how you practice it yeah um but i think you know if, if you first of all guys if you haven't seen klaus play you should see klaus play he's, yeah, he's so a, good. An, a brilliant drummer um and, uh, I don't know, he's massively melodic, open-handed player, just a uh, killer player. So, do you know, when he's referring to studying with Chapin, is he talking about what I did, where I bought the video and watched it a lot? Or do you think he actually studied, had lessons? Because it says he had a, a relationship with him for 20 years. Yeah. So, I'm assuming he actually studied with Jim Chapin. Yep, yep. I mean, he's... Which is awesome. I don't know exactly. I think it's
1: because Klaus was one of Familaro's drum drum wisdom like he has one of his yep. franchises. I think he came over here and worked with Chapin as well. So I, I'm pretty sure there's a direct gotcha. tie with, with Jim. I, could, I awesome. could find out from Klaus. But my assumption is, yeah, he actually sat down with him and studied this technique. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, it's funny when you watch – I'm assuming you remember Jim's video. Oh yeah, yeah. So okay, weird. So, uh, <laughs> the '90s were one, so one, one, weird. One 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 <laughs> one 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 one. But uh, I, you know, when I I watch that video, I'm, I'm watching him and I'm going like, okay, this dude has. First of all, he has the most perfect posture ever. But he's he just commands uh, a different level of attention. Like he's he's very formal, and we're going to learn the drums. And I'm thinking like, this dude, there's no way this cat can play. And then he drops the heat on some singles. Yeah. And then I like scoop my chair 14 feet closer to the TV, you know. And I'm like, what just happened? This dude's a. Yeah. So like, Okay. And he's going like, one, 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 one. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen that video, check it out. I got, to, I
1: got to see, I mean, he used to go to PASIC every year. And the first year I went, he was, I mean, what he would just do would just carry around a real field pad and some sticks and go from booth to booth and whoever wanted to sit down How and talk cool about is that? it. So I remember him, this, this just really kind of. He kind of reminded me of like my great uncle or grandfather, just real kind of strong, but yeah. you know, elder statesman yeah. walking around with sticks, and then anyone who would stop him, he'd be like, "Let me show you how to do this," and he'd have them play three notes, and he'd be like, "No, no, no, it's bump, 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 bump." <laughs> it was just like a so so strange and awesome, surreal for a fifteen-year-old kid to be like, "Okay, whatever." This guy's like a guru. I don't
2: know what he's talking about, but I'm very curious. <laughs> it's pretty neat. Well, guys, check out the Strictly Technique article. It's uh, by Klaus Hessler. It's called the Molar Through the Chapin Lens, Examining Upstroke and Downstroke Mechanics. And I think just being aware of this and understanding that if you are struggling with your speed, it might not be, and let's say you're in your first five to ten years of drumming, it might not be that you're actually slow. It could be sometimes that your technique isn't allowing you to play as fast as you want. If I grip my sticks as tight as possible and play it with only my wrists and all downstrokes and upstrokes coming from my wrist, my double stroke roll would probably go down to 130 BPM, 16th notes at 130 i mean I, I wouldn't have anything without those rebounding strokes um it's not to say that i'm doing baby bouncy pinky off double strokes like because i don't allow that in my studio but uh but i do in but i do want to be as efficient as possible i think really mike that's what the Muller method comes down to in modern day drumming is it's an efficient way to play multiple strokes
1: yeah exactly
2: more for less There you go. There you go. All right, well, let's get into uh, this month's cover artist, Mr. Matt Wilson. So, uh... Uh, I don't know. It wasn't. Maybe it was two years after that. But it was early on in like the mid '90s to late '90s. I remember Matt Wilson was on the Modern Drummer Festival, and there was a dude playing a saxophone in some crazy pajamas (laughs) and (laughs) in like seven, and that thing's like stuck in my head forever. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah. So that was my introduction to Matt Wilson. You know, and at the time, because of no social media. Every drummer that played the Modern Drummer Festival, that was my introduction to them. It was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't live in New York. I've never heard of this guy. And uh and it was it was really weird because you know, I had just seen <clears throat> either on the same festival or the year before, you guys had um oh man. Uh oh he's wearing a Zildjian shirt and Bill Stewart? Yeah. Uh, yes, Bill Stewart, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Bill Stewart. And so that was, as a you know teenager, that was like my representation of modern jazz mm-hmm. as far as like, okay, this is jazz happening right now. Then Matt Wilson comes out and just is like, it's like the craziest music I'd ever heard. And I'm like, wow, this, it really opened my mind. So do you actually know Matt? I don't really know him. I mean, I've met him a couple of okay. times in passing, but. Um, Seems like an overly happy, nice dude. Yeah, he's got a bit of just, just. Humor, which is so rare exactly. in drumming these days, right? I
1: mean, he's got a sense of just playfulness and childlike innocence. He's he's coming yeah. from that that more uh, avant-garde jazz world where kind of all bets are off; you can do whatever you want, which opens right. it up for you know more fun experiments. His latest record is called I think it's called Honey and Salt. And that he, is true, and he basically took some. Um, poems from Carl Sandburg and wrote music to them. So it's, again, it's a different take on art and jazz and right. improvisation. It's really neat. Um, but that's not to say he's not a super uh, badass drummer. I mean, he's got incredible right. technique and chops and solo skills and his sound. He seems is like great. he was
2: just perfectly meant to live in the vaudeville time. Right. Yeah. You know, fit in and crush that whole thing so well. What so what? What's great about that is having that now, um, and just when you see Matt play and um, and listen to the music, you can tell it's not cheeky for the sake of being cheeky. Like it's really, it's really who he is, and it's what he wants to do. And when you see it like that, you take it a little more seriously and really dig into it because yeah. you know it's not like uh, well he couldn't cut it in this realm, so he's gonna just go here you know it's like you can tell no this dude is doing this with pure passion and love not to mention i mean there's some serious people on that album he's got chris mcbride on it schofield's on it bill frizzell joe lovano so yep, exactly. it's, it's pretty awesome i mean it's it's a legit album um, i actually listened to it this morning kind of had it on while I was getting ready for clinics and stuff, so it was really cool. Yeah,
1: I mean he's got uh, I mean he's been in, in the New York area for twenty five years and he's played on four hundred record over four hundred records with Jeez, I please. mean, pretty much the, the best of the best of the more kind of experimental New York jazz scene, Lee Konitz and uh, Denny Zeitlin and Charlie Hayden and David Liebman. I mean it's kind of like that that crowd of you know, not quite traditional jazz, but still tied in with the tradition, probably coming more out of the they probably th- have more reverence for Ornette Coleman and that type right. of side of, of the jazz scene. But he's fantastic. Yeah. I, for me, he's one of those guys that when I saw him play the first time, it was like clear that he's a master of the instrument, regardless of yeah. the music he's playing. I just like got so right. much kind of, you know, he just has complete command of the instrument. So it's right. And you
2: would think that somebody that has that command on the instrument would go a different route, maybe musically and try to, like, exploit the drum set and its role in music. And he doesn't do that. One thing I love that he said in the article is he's talking about growing up and getting a little bit older and realizing that being on the drum throne is the absolute best seat in the house. And we get to hear everything that's happening. we're the observers of what's happening on stage in a musical setting. you know. Mm. And um, I, I think when you look at the band, they're all facing forward, but they can't see behind them. But we're facing forward, but we're in the back, and we can see everything. So we know we're kind of experiencing being on stage and being in the crowd at the exact same time. And I've always felt that way, that like my role, once we step on stage, is to be the observer of the show from the band's perspective and then try to improve and be able to tell the band after the show okay it was cool but you know we weren't in unison even with our bodies you know Mm -hmm. Um, you're feeling this song as an upbeat thing and you're feeling this thing as a downbeat thing and your bodies are going and you know I think uh, that the fact that he mentions that in the article is really cool because it kind of lets you know that we don't always have to look straight down at our drums we've practiced enough by the time you're on stage you've practiced enough look up uh, I need to do more of that. I mean, I've, I've been called out
1: by some friends of mine recently. Like, my, oh, it really? is something actually. My father, from the very beginning when I first started performing, he was like, "You you sound great, but you look like you're not having any fun. Like, right. do yeah, something." Yeah. I'm like, "I can't. I can't fake it. It's just not my personality." But even recently, right. I had so you know a good friend of mine, David, called me out. I'm like, yeah, I know. I need to smile more. It is fun, but I just get so focused that my face just goes dead. <laughs> you
2: know? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's something we work on a lot at Drum Camp here. We work on how is the audience perceiving you because they're seeing you now. If we turn off all the lights and I only track you, dude, you sound great. But yeah, I can't enjoy this until I see that you're enjoying this, and it's just, uh, it's, it's something that. I think it's important. And, and like I said, once you get there, it's like, dude, you've you've put in the time, you've put in the hours. Uh, or even if you haven't, it ain't gonna happen now. Like yeah. so whatever. <laughs> so you might as well look like you're having a good time even if your times all over uh, the map. Go down um, in a blaze of pe- glory, my friend. Exactly. Well, you know what? I've seen some pretty bad drummers have a really good time and I forgave all the drumming cuz I was like, that dude is having a blast. <laughs> Who cares if it's, you know, rushing and dragging every single measure? The dude's having a blast. <laughs> this is fun. So, yeah, I think, and Matt Wilson, if you guys haven't seen him play, please go onto YouTube and check him out. Uh, he epitomizes having fun on the drum set. Yeah. Um, while and I not, I think it's a, a really cool yeah, thing. Yeah, while
1: also having a direct, a deep respect for the history of the art. Absolutely. Form as well. He's
2: not, I, I, yeah, I definitely would put him in there with somebody like Daniel Glass who really cares about the history, yeah. cares about. You know the tradition of the instrument, but at the same time, like you said, doesn't take it so seriously that it ruins the experience. Um, and there, there have been some shows. You know, I'll go to Yoshi's sometimes, and I'll just be sitting there watching some of the greatest musicians in the world. I'm like, honestly, you just take this way too seriously. I mean, I get it; it's your life, and you're the best in the world. But damn, man! I came here to be <laughs> slightly entertained. You know who I love watching? I love watching Mike Stern because he enjoys the musicians he hires. That's, That's true, So yeah. much fun, Corea, too. Just to, yeah, totally. Yeah, to watch them like be playing their parts, and then Weckl does something that causes Mike to like just bust up laughing. I love that stuff. You <laughs> yeah. know, uh, Victor Wooten. Like to watch him. Uh, like a month ago, when I saw him play, to watch him be in awe of Dennis Chambers. That was so much fun. I, I watched Victor watching Dennis more than I watched Dennis mm-hmm. because it was like, okay, this is quite arguably one of the greatest bass players alive, and he is completely just bewildered by what's happening on the drum set. I want to I want to watch that. That's fun. So yeah, yeah I think uh, showmanship can obviously cross a line uh, where it gets to where it, I think really the line that's being crossed is when it's fake. Yeah. If it's fake, yeah. people yeah. know. It doesn't matter how bombastic it is, if it's real. Like, I don't think at the time Travis Barker could have played any way other than how he played. That's who he was, and that's why everyone in the world bought in. Um, and then everyone else that tried to fake like Travis Barker mm. didn't do so well. Because <laughs> everyone was like, dude, you're trying to be like Travis Barker. So. Yeah, he's the only guy that I give a pass
1: for hitting one, one crash with both hands, it's like simultaneously. <laughs> I'm like, you can
2: do that. That didn't happen. He Did does, he do that? He does it all the does time. Does he do that? Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's pretty rad. Well, be authentic and just get a new font for your name. All right. Let's <laughs> what go. What is away. that font again? The Jane Austen font? Jane Austen. If you want to copy my, my name or if you want to forge any checks, the Jane Austen font. Hey, should we mention the uh, the blooper highlight reel that, that Nick created oh, for us? That... <laughs> Uh, Okay, so I was going to contact you and say, hey, let's get our listeners to submit, because we're not going to listen to all 140 or whatever episodes. Uh, Wait, actually, what episode are we on? Do you know? 124? Yeah, 124. (laughs) So I'm not going to listen to all 124 episodes to find the cool parts. But if you have any parts that stick out, uh, go ahead and send them in. I wanted to make a clip show. Well, he just did it. And it is hilarious because we are morons. We
1: are. I mean, you want to question our intelligence, this would be it. So I want (laughs) to. Do I have it? Maybe let's uh, grab just a couple seconds to throw it in. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll do like maybe the all time highlight of the the kick snare hat
2: in the. uh, What was was the other one? (laughs) Dude, you got to get futz up in there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
3: <laughs> There's uh, some good
2: anyway. ones, sexy tuplets. The fact that he named them is even better. <laughs> like he had them listed out. I was like, oh yeah, I remember sexy tuplets. That was a good time. All right, let's check out a couple of them. It was amazing. It just it
1: just reminded me that you know a good sounding room. You don't really have to futz as much as a small you know budget studio. You're going to hear all the funky anomalies. But he was great to work with too. He was just super Did you just mellow. Say
2: futz, futz. Yeah, you don't do futzing, <laughs> bro. I I've never futzed. Well, I mean, that's, uh,
1: you got to go hang out and catch Deli and futz with
2: your phone a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's deli. Uh, I don't, we don't even have Delis. That's awesome, man. Futz. When you said it, I perked up like, hey, 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 easy there, Dawson. And oh, I was like, wait, I think he put a TZ at the end of it. TZ? Tree. <laughs> Everyone quits. So I have to find the it's right time. time. Yeah. It's not fun. I have to find the right time to be like, damn, you seem pretty serious. Let's clean this up. And, and oh, let me yeah. just put it in there. Just keep going. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> You have to cut that out. I wasn't going to react, but you had to <laughs> say something. Okay, so anyways. Hack to me. Anyways, mine sent me a new cowbell. <laughs> that might be the worst. Uh, just got the new four-song four EP from John Mayer. And the first song almost has, like, a D'Angelo feel on it. And I played to it, like, 20 times in a row last night. And I don't think I even left Kick, Snat, and Hair. Kick, Snat, and Hair? Snat. (laughs) (laughs) Can we please make that a T-shirt? Kick, Snat, Hair. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. That is Uh, awesome. What does a Snat look like? Well, (laughs) it's, it's a... If you if you open your hair and then uh, just get a little <laughs> chick on the snat, oh, my goodness gracious.
1: All right. Now that we got done embarrassing ourselves again, let's uh, <laughs> take a moment to thank our sponsor, Dream Symbols. Um, I just grabbed some, some clips that they had posted on their Facebook page of their new 10th anniversary symbols, which they had at PASIC. I think they're Small Bell Rides 24s, I believe. They're patinaed. They're all uniquely done. There's only a limited number of them, but they did a video with Scott Pellegram just doing his crazy thing to them. So we're going to drop some of that in here.
2: Thank you, Dream. And where are we at now? We're at... It is time to talk about some drums. Talking about the Hendrix Perfect Fly Series drum set. Yes. I gotta say, it's a gutsy move, throwing the word perfect into the name of your uh, gear. It so sure you better is. be good. It sure. Hey, and, and, uh, and on a similar note, I got hit up by someone
1: on Instagram last night. I'm not going to call them out, but the message was amazing. It says... Um, <laughs> Yo, I have the best mixing and mastering services. We should do. We should connect into the (laughs)
2: business. (laughs) Okay, so on a professional email, try not to start the email with yo. I have the Uh, best mixing and mastering services. Yeah, I know. I've talked to uh, Bob Ludwig. He can't hang with me. I talked (laughs) Chris uh, Lord to uh, Chris Lord Alge. Couldn't hang. Terry Dade. He was out. Uh, I rule. So yeah, man. Let's co. Oh. No more collab in 2018. Oh, yeah. We got a collab. People hit me up all the time with that one. We got a collab on Instagram. I'm like, no, you have 11 followers and you want my hundred thousand. Yeah, that was that's, that's what. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a, my response
1: no. to that message was like, cool. What would you have in mind? And of course, it was yeah. You can you know pay me to mix some of your tracks. Like yeah, uh, that's, there you go. That's,
2: there there's the I, hook. I can't wait for that business partnership. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we're really both growing out of this. You know what? Okay, if you were the best, here would be my advice: take some of your tracks, like take something and remix it, and then send it to me and blow me away with it. Yeah, um, right. There's a guy that's been writing songs to like drum parts. Uh, I got to find him on Instagram. But oh uh, yeah, I know you're talking about the black and I just saw my drums. guy. Is that the guy? Yeah, I just all of a sudden my black drums su- had a really cool song behind them, and. Uh, I remember just thinking, I was like, man, that was a drum lesson. I wish I would have known he was going to make a song out of it. I would have played a beat. Um, But he crushed it. And uh, anyways, so, yeah, I mean, that's how he got me to follow him was he just took my stuff and remixed it. And I thought it was absolutely amazing. Um, I wish I could find it, but I can't. So uh, I'll give him some love next time because he deserves it for sure. Uh, okay, so let's talk about these drums. Yeah, We've yeah. Got some, so, anyway, we'll stop looking at our phones. <laughs> and, uh, I'm trying to find it too. Okay, <laughs> so uh, so Miguel uh,
1: reviewed these, right? I no, I did the review, but I didn't have. But oh, okay. Miguel had the the drums before me, so he went ahead and demoed them because he was doing some other gotcha. other content, if you will. Gotcha. Uh, so I did test them out. Um, so what are they? They are four ply. So Hendrix drums, if if you've never heard of them, they kind of came onto the scene making Stave drums. That was the first thing I remember seeing was Stave walnut, mm. which, and they sounded great. They were I remember they were at the Big Bang booth at Nam, and anytime anyone hit them, my ear just I just my head just turned like all right, what is that? Because I just had that like that Stave sound right. where it just really cuts and projects, but the walnut had a certain darkness that was really kind of satisfying. <laughs> So anyway, right. those drums are awesome, and now they're doing a ply shell, the kind of counterpart. So that's a four-ply shell. It's still made of walnut. Um, the kit that I reviewed had a, I think it had an 18-by-22-inch bass drum, and then 8-by-10, uh, 16-by-16. Uh, 16 16, oh, and there was also a 12. So 8-by-10, 9-by-12, 14-by-14, and 16-by-16-inch. 16 16 it's tops. a nice rock set. Yeah, it was a full-on six-piece kit. Um, there was, it's gorgeous, by the way. It is. I mean, it's, it's pure natural walnut. It looks looks awesome. Um,
2: so it's these, a really warm sounding drum set. It is. I
1: think it's really smart for them to stick with walnut because that's kind of what they made their name. Don Stave Walnut in the beginning, but now here's a ply version, which just gives you a more round, warmer kind of classic version of right. that sound
2: and it has rounded bearing edges so it's yep. bringing that warmth and taking away some of that in-your-face attack out of this um, yep now one thing since i've never owned a walnut kit where do they fall on the scale of volume are they overly loud drums or are they right in line with like maple i think t- volume wise i didn't notice much of a difference
1: it's more of a timbre okay. that i that i really noticed like it has right like i think of mahogany being really dark and kind of soft and I think of birch as being kind of more high end and snappy. Yeah, walnut yeah. somehow gives you a little bit of both. It gives you that real modern kind of smack, but it's a dark sound. So it's it's and they don't seem to thing. have
2: too too many like uh, annoying overtones. It seems yeah. like it does its job and gets out of the way really exactly. fast. exactly. I think they're they're perfect for. It's a modern sound,
1: but it's not that real bitey kind of snappy high end sound. It's got it like the floor tom's tune low. It was like earth-shaking really yeah but it didn't. well before
2: we uh, get too much more into the technical aspects of the kit why don't we give it a listen this will be Miguel playing it right yep I think he just does one tuning probably kind of in the mid-range cool Yeah, so like I said, they're super warm, uh, and the the decay is pretty fast. So it it's weird because I'm looking at it and I can see that it's twelve by or uh, twelve by nine and fourteen by 14, 16 by sixteen. But they almost have like it, they're like a uh, vintage version of the of fast toms. You know, they have the yeah. no warmth, but right. the decay is really quick. Yep. So it's like uh, I, I mean, really cool stuff, and I love just love the walnut they chose for the outer veneer. I mean, I know the whole kit's walnut, but you know that when you choose an outer ply, it's going to be seen. So you have yeah. to be very careful with that final piece, and it's just it's gorgeous. And to have it be a satin walnut, what a an amazing look. Now the the lugs are aluminum, right? Yep. They so it's going to bring in a lot of lightness. So if you're looking for a gigging kit, I would imagine these shells are incredibly light. Oh, that's one thing I definitely
1: uh, noticed was, I mean, especially the floor time. I almost like threw it up in the air. It was so light. I was expecting <laughs> it to be
2: this tank and like, whoa, this thing is light. <laughs> And then when you pick it up and something's light, you immediately think, well, it won't have any body to it. It's not uh, yeah. going to be you know, ballsy. And then it's like, uh, but they are. Yeah, I think a lot of it is those those small lugs. There's not any
1: extra weight kind of bringing them down. The the rack toms do have the rims mount type uh, suspension systems, which add a few pounds. But even still, they, just, they felt like there was nothing extra on these shells. Um, so, yeah, for gigging, I, I love the fact that I can just carry them in one hand and not feel like my back is going to snap. Because my right. back is... Definitely aging.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not the rest of you, buddy. You look like you're just, 27. Just my back. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, the price is kind of outrageous. When I saw the price, I was like, "Well, that's clearly a misprint." Um, yeah, to around two grand. To, for to me, a I, I, yeah, looking at this kit in six-piece configuration, I'm thinking probably thirty-five hundred dollar range minimum. Um, so I would imagine as a six. Since uh, the price listed is two thousand ninety-nine as a five-piece you're probably still looking well under 3 grand for a 6 so that's kind of crazy
1: yeah i mean um, well this just didn't come with a snare so it was the four to oh, well in the then, base drum yeah. so it is essentially so it's a probably, six piece kit you have to just add your own yeah. snare yeah
2: Oh yeah, it's it's gorgeous. I, I would definitely recommend this for somebody. One, like I said, if you're gigging, these are super light drums, but they don't have the sound of a light drum. Um, also, too, if if you're trying to mix into your band, as you could hear in the audio example, these are just going to mix in really well rather than trying to dominate like maybe a birch kit would. Um, which definitely has its place. I, I went full uh, Birch Custom Absolute when I was touring back in the days because I couldn't get on top of my band enough. Yeah. Hello, I couldn't get my <laughs> drums to sit on top of the mix enough. <laughs> it's a crazy night, lots of green tea. Couldn't get on top of my band. Hey. Uh, so yeah, so I think these would. Uh, hey, um, yeah, yeah what, these are,
1: these are awesome, and they have a lot of great snares. So definitely check out their website and and check out the the comparison between the stave drums and the it's a, it's a good comparison of what stave versus ply does when you see the same wood in a stave show and the in the ply show and the
2: sounds are similar but different. Cool. Very cool indeed. Uh well, we've got we've got some good time. I think we can get to a few questions. Okay. So
1: this our first one is kind of goes along with our grumpy old man uh, <laughs> rants at the earlier in the show. intro. <laughs> I think we might have sort of covered this last time, but what do you guys think of, uh, quote-unquote, social media drummers that are becoming so popular these days?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I think it is a new form of, of being discovered, and it's becoming a new form of performance. You know, people are performing in their home studios or in their bedrooms or basements rather than performing on stage. And it's not going to go away, so you have to accept it as what it is. I mean, I, I've made a living off doing it, so I'm clearly not against it. Um, but at the same time, I've tried really hard to diversify my drum career so that I'm doing clinics, drum festivals, writing articles, writing books so that I can be seen as an educator because I mm. really don't want that moniker online drum guy because I don't believe that it will be here in the form it is six years from now. So I want to make sure that I'm just seen as an educator. And yes, I happen to do it in today's modern world, but I also do it in person. I do private lessons. I do drum camps. So I think that I have no problem with it. And some of my favorite drummers are only known from their online persona. Uh, Carson Grant would be, you know, he's Mm -hmm. a former student who's now just up here. And I don't know what he's got going on in his life other than the room that he shows me. But, his beats are fat so yep. yeah yeah uh, so i mean as a as a magazine does modern drummer take an online drummer that has no other experience other than performing on instagram do you take it as an actual thing as is, is it serious or where are things leaning that way it's it's really no difference between a drummer
1: who's in a popular band versus a drummer who has a huge online following versus a drummer who is in a bunch of advertisements all of that is right. cool what it comes down to is what do you do on the drums do you right. ha, are okay. you an amazing drummer or are you just have you just you know cracked the code and you know how to get a bazillion right. likes on your video but you really can't play that great so it's the right. same same thing with like a a, a pop band like Maybe you just had a ton of money to invest in in your PR and marketing, but you're right. but you're really not really there as a musician yet, and uh, you won't be
2: there five years from now. Yeah,
1: maybe or maybe not. I mean, but it's all those yeah. are just kind of like gateways, like online following and record deals and major cre- credits for touring. That's just like an entryway. But for me, you still have to show that you're serious about the instrument and the art form, and that you can right. you can play at a level that is admirable. That is something that is inspiring right. for other people. It doesn't have to be like yeah. technical virtuosity, but there has to be right. something there that I'm like, okay, there's value here to talk to this person and to pick their brain about something, whatever it but is. But I also
2: think, too, there's there, the online world shows us a window into the depth that is there with modern technology and without it. So a good example would be Nate Smith is somebody I would have never have ever probably known without Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Then once I was alerted to it and I'd seen it I was like, okay, there's this cat is the real deal. Like, this isn't some Instagram-y thing. This is the real deal. And then I researched it, and I was like, oh, of course it is. He's done these other hundred projects. Yeah. He's been in the scene forever. He's a legit player. Ash Sohn. When you watch him play, you don't think like, oh man he's got a killer Instagram following. It's like... <laughs> Well, he didn't buy those platinum albums behind him. Those are (laughs) awarded to him because he recorded with Seal and Adele and Cher and Billy Idol. Uh, So I think there's a depth there. And as an educator, I want that depth. When you watch me teach a video in 45 seconds on Instagram, I want there to be this little thing that just lets you know. I think that guy's done drum festivals before. I think that guy's oh, yeah. taught at PASIC before. Yeah, next I think level. That you can you can see it. Next level. It doesn't matter what it. the
1: delivery is. It doesn't matter what the content is. You can see it. You can <laughs> feel it. You can experience it. So I think for me, to the summarize, social media drummers, I think if you define yourself as a social media drummer, that's a red flag for you're not going far right. enough. You're not digging deep enough. I agree.
2: I agree completely. Awesome! All right, thanks for the question. Next Next. one is
1: from Caleb. It says, um, "I was wondering what your opinions were on trying to improve traditional grip for playing jazz, or do you think that it doesn't matter?"
2: Ooh, this is this is up there with Muller method as far as like a debated topic. Yeah, it is. Um, So, what about you? You you play jazz? Do you play jazz traditional grip? I do still use traditional okay.
1: grip but more and more i'm leaning towards not using that as as a default um because i just don't practice it as much as i used to i used to practice on my on the practice pad a lot of drum core stuff and that was in traditional grip i've since you know as i'm really focusing on these these technique exercises i'm i'm relying on match grip because i think traditional grip has certain control issues that i will never overcome certain mm. accuracy and and the certain subdivision control it's just it's just a looser sloppier technique for me right so for jazz it's fine but i'm kind of leaning towards all match grip all the time forget about traditional grip i didn't start out that way i forced myself to learn it when i was
2: four years into drumming Can, can you think of an argument that would beat use whatever grip you're the best at no. I mean, I think it's cool to practice new techniques and, and see right. what you like, can do. But. And I think what I'm saying is if you started out with traditional grip and your traditional grip was far superior to your matched grip, then stick with it and play jazz with it. But but yeah. don't just go to traditional just to play jazz. Um, the yeah. only time that I had to learn traditional and really practice it was when I was doing jazz you know, big band competitions, and my director said, "I want you to play traditional grip for the look of it. It looks more <laughs> big bandy." I'm like, "Holy crap!" Even at like I 14, I was smack like, "Really, bro?" I know. It, I was like, "Come on, man!" But that's
1: the same argument with with drum corps. I mean, of there's course. only been a yeah. couple times that a corps has tried to go match grip, and I mean, they got railed for it. Just, just really? it's just traditional grip is how you play a snare drum in, in right. drum corps.
2: Yeah, so I think to answer your question, Caleb, I I wouldn't do it just to make the crossover to jazz. I would play jazz with whatever your most relaxed and proficient grip and technique is. Um, You know, a great example, I mean, watch most modern jazz drummers, the guys that are playing right now, a lot of them are match grip guys and and girls, you know, so I I would check that out and I would say play whatever comes more naturally to you. Yep, dig it. I mean, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't Go to traditional group just to kind of play old fashioned.
1: I think that's that doesn't make any sense for no. me. Which is kind of what I make tend the, to do. The, I'm like,
2: let me let me play old fashioned, and I go to traditional groups. Like, stop being disrespectful. To the, I have a <laughs> I have a, yeah I have a weird uh, like tick in my teaching that when I start explaining things, I hold my stick in traditional while I'm, like, standing up. Like, I feel like I'm a, a legit educator if I hold... I don't, And I don't even know what's happening. And then I'm like, I try to play something fast on the kit. I'm like, why am I in traditional grip? I can't even play like this. So uh, so there we go. All, All right, right, next. All right,
1: we've got one from Seth. Uh, I wonder if you can elaborate on the best approach to using snare drum rim shots. I like to play a lot, a broad style of music from blues to jazz to metal, and I'm not sure what approach I should take... To using them in my own band in my own music with my own band um, should rim shots be used differently in a live setting or when recording I'm not sure if he means rim shot or rim click or, but, or cross stick yeah but yeah. we can go with just rim shot meaning you're hitting the stick okay. and the rim at the same time I mean the head right. and the rim
2: at the same time <laughs> gosh uh, <laughs> we're killing it 2018 off of the bank yeah I think that Obviously, my camps are like labs, and when I'm working with campers and with students, if they can't, if they can only play a rim shot, then I stop it, stop it dead in its tracks, and I say, "Look, that's like we're playing, you know, a a chill John Mayer tune, and you're rim shotting every note. Uh, There's no no need for that. If a rim shot, if you have enough technique that a rim shot is a choice, I'm all about it. It makes when I'm playing a Foo Fighters song. I'm going to rimshot all the backbeats. Um, but I also know that if I'm playing a Foo Fighter song and I'm tracking it, I'm probably not going to do any rimshots because I want the producer to have the freedom yep. to do whatever he wants with the snare tone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to is what's the sound you're after. Right. I mean, when would and I- volume. I... mean, In a band practice with a loud rock band, I usually rimshot because yeah. I want, you know, they're like, can you play louder? And it's like, well, I'm hitting as hard as I'm physically going to hit, so I'll give you a louder timbre of the drum by giving it a rimshot. So let's let's break it down by genre. So,
1: okay. jazz. When would you rim shot? For me, that would only be if I'm looking for a brighter,
2: more ringy sound. I'm not doing it for See, volume. Yeah, exactly. Volume would not be it. And and with with jazz or even whatever the hell I'm doing now, which would some where be in the fusion um, crossover. There's so much rim shot. Because I can have the rim shot, the classic rim shot that we all know. The stick is kind of in the middle of the head. The tip of the stick is in the middle of the head. And then the side of the stick or the back part of the stick is hitting the rim. But I can then keep backing that stick up and get it more timbali-like and get all these different tones. So for, mm. the, for that and crossing over to jazz, it's a sound. you yeah, know? totally. And if you have a bop kit, rim shot the toms. They sound amazing when you do that for yeah. sound effect not for volume yeah, so, yeah it's kind of
1: like practicing a slap on congas you don't want to just hit the drum as hard as you can it's a sound you right. like to produce it's
2: a sound yeah and I mean Giovanni Hidalgo can get a slap pianissimo yeah exactly uh, now what about something like Vultures by John Mayer just boom cat yeah dun, again cat. that's a that's a
1: sonic thing where dead center is going to be the biggest, fullest, fattest sound. Exactly. And, and yep. for recording, it, unless I'm playing modern rock that needs that real sharp bite, I'd never hit rim shots. It's just not right. the right yeah. sound. It, it's too much a transient that's cutting, that's just so loud compared to the tone of the drum. Right. So I'd and dead I think center I've hit told this,
2: time. I've, I've said this before, but it's really relative to this, and I'm pretty sure uh, I can ask him, to double check, because this was in the '90s, but I'm pretty sure that when uh, Abe Cunningham went in to do the first major label Deftones record, Adrenaline, Terry Date made him click his snare two clicks towards himself because he couldn't stop rimshotting at the time because mm-hmm. that's all he'd grown up doing, and Terry was telling him, "I can get you a more rimshotty sound if you'll stop rimshotting." because then I can compress it. I can do anything I want with it if you can just get me one pure sound. And um, as anyone that grew up in that area, myself or era, myself included, I I was at a point in the mid-90s and late 90s I couldn't not rim shot. It was all I knew how to do. It was like my default setting. You know? And then... It was like, man, this rim is so high. How do you not hit it? <laughs> and it's like, well, you learn how to not hit it. Um, and then you start to really explore like the sweet spot of a drum and finding like the most pure tone possible. And what does it sound like? One inch to the left of the sweet spot to get a little bit wider wave file. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there you go. I think if I am hitting rim
1: shots... Most of the time, I'm aiming north of center to get the most stick on the drum as possible. That yeah. gives me that still gives me like a full sound, but it has that extra attack. If I if I pull right. the stick back, that's when the the sound thins out, and unless I right. want that sound, it just becomes like an unusable I use,
2: tone. I use rim shots all the time in my you know in clinics and soloing and stuff, but they're they're just like you said. It's a sonic accent. It's not just a volume accent. It's yeah. it's a timbre accent. So. I think that Does that answer it? Let's move on. Picture <laughs> of the week. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
1: Thanks you for You know your that
2: question. there's nothing in I mean we're we're dealing with art so there's generally no definitive answers. It always comes down to like I don't know, try it out. Yeah. Make it sound yeah. good if it's appropriate. You know? I mean here's here's
1: a Be- good good test. Detune your snare all the way and hit a rim shot and does that sound good? I mean, that might be the one time when you'd be like, "Okay, there's there's an absolute answer that it does not sound good. (laughs) Right. Agreed.
2: Yeah. But it's it's the same thing every day. Somebody asks me, like, hey, I know you're doing a two mic setup. Where should I put my overhead mic? I'm like anywhere over and then listen to it and then move it. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk. It's just like I I don't where I put it is based off my room and my kit and how I play. So I don't know put it over the drum set somewhere and then record it. And if it sounds good, keep it. Um, yeah. I've you know, tried. So. I
1: mean, I've tried all, all the different scientific, I mean, one, one guy said you should put the overhead one third of the way down from the ceiling to the floor, like the space of that. I'm like, okay, okay I'll sure. try that. That, that sounded good. And one, and then I think it was 46 and a half inches is what Warren Hubert recommends. I'm like, all right, I'll
2: do that. That sounds good. <laughs> right. right. Now I'm like, just, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I do, I do do this. I, I definitely speak into the microphone when I press record and uh, and say what it is so that when I go back and listen, I know what it is. So I'll say uh, overhead mic, 50 inches above snare drum, and then I play. And then I change okay. the microphone, measure out. Overhead mic, 26 inches above snare drum. <laughs> kick mic, one foot away from kick. You know, like I say that stuff. And that way... 20 minutes later, when I come back and I listen to it, at least I know, ooh, I like that one. What did I say that was? And then I go, out of the 20 things I tried, I know that, okay, 16's the one, and I know exactly what I did. So right. And, but that for, for me, a lot. the
1: odds of replicating that on a different day with different atmosphere and know. different drums, right. it's like, eh, good luck. You have to always have yeah. to
2: tweak stuff. <laughs> agreed. Uh, totally agreed. All right, let's uh, squeeze in one more. Oh, and we'll get to our one more. All right. would already shut the folder.
1: So, well, <laughs> did you say shut the border? I said folder. Folder?
2: I was like, what in oh, the trunk yeah, was so, that? So
1: there's another one. I don't ever want to read, <laughs> see, or hear someone say fake news for the rest of my life. It's done. Oh, no more. You. It's I'm either you, news man. or it's not. <laughs> there is I'm no you, fake news.
2: I'm with you. Goodness gracious. It's either well, I'm glad you shut the folder. <laughs> Can we make a t shirt out of that? Just shut the folder. Already shut the folder. Okay,
1: this one comes from Drew. What are some ways uh, you adjust your breathing while drumming? I often find myself so Ooh. focused that I forget to breathe intentionally, and I tire more
2: easily. Wow, I think I think honestly, you would have to go in and actually practice breathing. You would have to set out some time and say, okay, today. For ten minutes, I'm going to practice breathing in time with my drumming, and you would have to practice that so often that it became uh, a habit. Yeah, you obviously breathe just fine when you walk. You obviously breathe just fine when you go to the gym or when you read a book. Um, so you just need to practice this, and you will get better at it. Um, but let me ask you this, because this is something that a lot of people talk about. Do you breathe in time intentionally? Are you somebody that changes your breathing for the tempo? No,
1: I, I think of it. I think there's a psychology concept of like as soon as you mention something you can't not think about it like if I say don't think of a giant elephant even though I said don't think of it you still immediately think of a giant elephant like you can't not do it and I think the moment you're like breathing all of a sudden all of your focus goes to your breathing so I try not to because then unless there's an issue unless I feel like I'm getting winded then I'm like "All right, am I breathing or am I not breathing I think it's not something right. that I personally want my attention to be on. I'd rather just breathe, that said, I think making videos of myself has revealed that I have definitely some issues with holding my breath too much.
2: Oh really, I okay. can see
1: it. I can see it on my face like when I'm taking a big inhale, like why am I waiting every four or five bars to breathe in? That's stupid.
2: <laughs> like what am right I doing? Yeah, but so how to practice it? I have no idea there you go yeah no <laughs> i i'm I'm the same i mean i I'm trying to think definitely somewhere along the lines of those old dci videos somebody was you know talking about breathing and breathing in time and then all of a sudden i was playing like you know those slow 90s and i was like and i'm like well this isn't working let me go to eight those. I'm like, that's too much. I'm going to pass out. So I was like, you know, I think I'll just breathe. (laughs) Holding your breath, though, is definitely something that you want to try not to do. Benny Greb made a really good point about drummers that hold their breath only during the fills. And it creates tension, and they rush the fill trying to get to the next breath. Yeah, Um, And I think that's a really good point. Um, I just try to be relaxed through everything I play, and I I try to not allow my breathing to change for that. Yeah, I uh, think,
1: I mean, one thing that I have practiced thinking back on it is if i'm improvising i try to sing what i'm playing as i'm playing it which therefore requires me to stop playing some notes and take a breath so for phrasing Mm -hmm. it helps to be like all right think of like a saxophone player you've got to play until the air is gone and then you can't play anymore you have to breathe so i think of that that's been one way i've i've consciously focused on my breathing but not to fix my breathing to fix my phrasing it's kind of been the opposite But I do need to fix my breathing because I hate the way I look when I take a big old open mouth (laughs) breath in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, freaking mouth breathers. (laughs) Actually, uh, Sahir at Matches of Maple grabbed a clip of mine. And, and of course, he grabbed it right at the open mouth inhale. And, you know, it's like, thanks, Sai. Thanks for posting that photo of me taking a giant breath
2: in. Oh, (laughs) that's the worst. Like, I I literally had to start taking control of that. So I send... um, the time of the video if if it's youtube i'll say okay make this the screenshot um, oh, okay. or i'll actually make the, the screenshot itself as a jpeg and i'll send them that because i was like how did you just how did you let that go out like i'm in mid-blink i look like i'm having a seizure why is that come on you gotta you gotta help me out here you gotta, All you right, gotta um, have more respect for my content <laughs> I'm on. I'm on my side hustle. why are you screwing up my side hustle with your lame content? uh by the way, we didn't even mention our intro groove We got to talk oh, about gosh. our awesome intro groove. Alberto was killing it, yeah, Alberto Iglesias. How about that yeah. one yeah so that one on fire now oh, I forgot what he did. What did he do? He had some brushes happening in there. yeah, it was all texture man um it was really cool uh, it had a little bit of a it was like a slowed down disco vibe if Matt Chamberlain played it. Yeah, it does have How's a little bit of, like,
1: Keltner, Matt Chamberlain, yeah. maybe a touch of Latin vibe in there. Yeah, Very really cool stuff. Um, so and we'll, we'll
2: tell you about our
1: outro groove in just a bit. Yeah, so we do, we, let's see how I many, we have maybe enough for another month of episodes, but if you want to get your intro grooves in, send them over to mdinfo at com. Do me a favor and title your file name with your name. I have quite a few that it's, like, entry or... Or whatever, modern drummer intro, and I have to go back and chase yeah. it. So that's, I'm being lazy, but please, if you could do that, that would just help. Appreciate awesome. it.
2: Awesome. I think that sounds great. All right, let's get to our picks of the week. Yeah, you want me to go first? I'd be happy to. Uh, my pick of the week is an old pick of the week from you. Uh, so the f- fine people over at K Break saw my post of my new stage and he said, hey, uh. Uh, I don't know if you want to actually go with no drum rug, but if you want to go with no drum rug, I can send you some K-breaks. And I wasn't aware that they made a new insert that gripped to hardwood stages. Mm-hmm. Um, you told me that at the time, but it, it just kind of slipped my mind. I, I, I remembered them more as the breaks for your drum rug and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, uh, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, holy crap, those things work. Yeah, right. It's pretty, pretty uh, sweet. They're amazing. Yeah. I've, I'm on, so I tested them out on our old floor. Then I pulled them up and put them down on our new floor. Then I pulled them up again, like three days later because I wanted to move my drum set a little bit more forward. Um, for the, for the, for where my microphone is. Cause my microphone is fixed to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, it can go up and down, but it can't go forward or back. It's actually attached to a, a beam up in our rafters. So anyways, uh, so I, I've i reused them three times on a hardwood floor, and the first hardwood floor was in the middle of construction, so there was dust all over it. And these things, you cannot budge that bass drum. That's Can't awesome. even budge it. They are amazing. So I have them now on my two hi-hat legs, because I have like a two-legged hi-hat stand, mm-hmm. and then I've got them on my bass drum, and that's it. I have no drum rug anywhere, and nothing is moving, because those two things kind of anchor everything down, and they are... Fantastic. So, if you guys so haven't checked out K Brakes, check it out. The pedal's yeah. not moving? I mean, how you keep it Not the, even a little. Well,
1: the pedal probably has a little bit of rubber gripper under it. I don't remember what Yeah,
2: the 5, and I was thinking is. I might actually take off the. Um, I have the newest DW5000 where they got rid of the Velcro on the bottom and now it's just rubber on the bottom. Okay. Right. But yeah, it's, I mean, nothing's moving. And I'm playing, I'm going in. I've been doing like probably five to six hours of, of practice a day getting ready for these clinics and dude, this thing doesn't move at all. Like I'm really excited. And everyone keeps saying like, Oh, your stage is so much bigger. And I'm like, we didn't do anything. Yeah, you just got we, rid of the rug. we changed. <laughs> I got rid of the rug. We changed out the hardwood, but it's the same. We didn't change the size of it at all. So, um, it's really cool. Especially if you're doing a lot of video content to have an overhead shot and it's just now, a drum set what on a hardwood floor. Nobody ever
1: sees that. Do you hear more, dude, li-
2: more life out of the drums? Yes. And all I can say is it just sounds better i am getting a little bit more attack um out of everything uh but i can minimize that if i want to by raising the microphone up a little bit more but i think the reflections now even though i lost all the studio foam behind my drum set the reflections from the wall that i built in the middle the new cymbal boxes that are much deeper there's just a lot of natural wood on the wall behind me um it's really just it's it sounds fantastic like i am in heaven and uh yeah it's really cool so definitely guys check out k breaks um it's it's there's no hype there it's all real you can and they're pretty affordable i mean the set for the if you're getting them just for your drum rug you're looking at like 40 bucks and they'll snap uh they'll kind of adapt to any bass drum spur you can think of and then after that you can get the inserts if you want to put them on hardwood floors like i did and they lock in fantastically well sweet well my pick is not a physical object Especially in
1: the digital world It's a track off of Jack DeJohnette's album Oneness And it is the one called Jack In It's a song that he wrote Years ago for his more kind of fusion band With I think Pat Metheny might have been on it Originally but on Oneness It's like a stripped down minimalist version With uh, Don Elias plays Like this constant Conga pattern That's super vibey and there's just guitar Piano and drums and I think it's one of the most gorgeous performances. For me, it's like a perfect, like, if you're not aware of what Jack D. Jeanette does, this is a good entryway. It's not too weird. It's not too out. It's pretty vibey. Um, it's a great, beautiful listen. So we're going to drop in like a, a little chunk of it. But what I love awesome. about this track is that. You can't really tell when they're actually playing composed material versus improvised material and that is like the oh, ultimate. Cool. It's like That's every once in a while they play these unison lines. I'm like, how the hell did they know to do that? It's within like this improvised section and they all hit this little right. fragment. So it's like a deconstructed version of his tune Jack In. All right, so that's it. I think we're done. We want to uh, Nice.
2: We want to wrap it up with who we got sending this off here. Bill Harmon. Bill Harmon. And Bill's uh Dr. Bill. He's been to camp. He's he's a, he's a stud, man. So Is he a surgeon? He's got a nice No, uh he's a urologist, I believe. Okay. Is that right? I think. I don't. I he's something that we rarely talked about at camp dinners. <laughs> I remember that, it was, and then, but and then, as soon as dinner was over, we'd be like, "Tell us more stories." And he, you know, because he he does a lot of charity work and a lot of volunteer stuff. Like, awesome. Besides all the stuff he does, but uh, but he's he's a legit doctor and uh, Doctor Bill Harmon, and he's got a nice little upbeat groove for us.
0: Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tret basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward. And take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.